When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, this is Nick Egan saying, whenever you get the chance, listen to what difference does it make. Keeps you in touch with the past and keeps you back in the future. Well, thanks, Nick, for that introduction. And you are, of course, tuned into the What Difference Does It Make podcast. Joined, as always, with my partner, Holly. We're going to start talking about videos. Nick directed some of our favorite music videos from the 80s and 90s. And we're going to talk a, a little bit about the ins and outs of uh, what goes into making a video and what made these videos so memorable. So let's get started. Your first video for, for uh, Real Wild Child, I, was, I watched yeah. it yesterday. There is a quick, very quick shot of a woman wearing a Nevermind the Bollocks t-shirt did you throw that in as like a nod to malcolm like a thank you or is that just you know what you know what i think what happened with that i was given the footage from the ritz and they they played the ritz so it may have been an audience member i can't remember i have to have a look at it again i haven't seen that video for a long time i don't think so david in all honesty i think i think if anything happened it kind of happened accidentally because i didn't really know what the hell i was doing when i was making (laughs) that video because i'd never done anything before and I was trying to do graphics on it, and and um, yeah. and I wanted to distort the images. Of, and I took some photographs. I'd done another photo shoot from 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 um, blah blah blah. But it was um, I literally would landed in LA and was given that job because I did the album cover because they needed it out quickly. And and I was lucky because, and I say this a lot. The first thing you do is really important to what you do eventually. And I was really lucky that my first record cover was The Clash. The Clash is uh, White Men mm-hmm. and Palais. My first album cover was Dexter's Minute Runners, which is an iconic thing. And then Bow Wow Wow. My first video was with, the NX, uh, with the Iggy Pop. And you can't, you know, they're, they're difficult to argue with those in terms of, of selling yourself to people because, you know, they, they, they're considered influential. So I wasn't conscious of that at the time and I, and I, and I wasn't conscious of where I sat with the culture that was I was involved in. In those days, and as opposed to now, you really had to go out and be in the world. You had to go and circle. You had to go and network, if you like. You had to go and meet people. You had to put, you had to put your profile. Whereas, whereas now you do all that with social media. You didn't. You, you couldn't do that then. You had to actually be out and and meet people. And and I still think I was recently invited to Nike do a, an inspirational speaker program where they invite people up to come and speak to their staff on their campus. And I was invited to do that. And I went up there and I talked to the, these. Yeah, these kids who, who basically have got everything that I didn't have in terms of when I was younger, nobody invited me to come, to, someone like me to come and talk to them. They bring the world to these people who sit by the computers. And I said, you know, I think it's great you've got the technology and the research that you've got at your fingertips. That's something I never had. You know, I had to go to a library. You've got this. And I think that's a wonderful thing. I said, but biggest inspiration, I think, if anything, is meeting people. And this generation seems to be so loath in doing that. They'd rather text than speak on the phone. They'd rather email than go and have a meeting. They'd rather and, – and I said, you, I meet people, all kinds of people, and people are still the greatest inspiration. You'll meet people that you have no clue what they're about, and then they'll start telling you things, and then you'll go, 
oh my God, what an incredible story. So meeting people, I think, is, it's like even, I was thinking about you and I, Dave, and how we met under these things and (laughs) neither of us knew anything about what each other did, but somehow we got this connection and then it took us to this point. That would never have happened, I don't think, um, if it was just based off of um, being on uh, uh, social media. You can really pick and choose who you want to meet that way. You can't pick and choose who you want to meet when you go out into the world. That's true. You bump into that. One of my favorite pictures that's on your website is you're at the, I guess it's the Boy George's birthday party in the 82. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, paint that picture yeah. for me. I'm kind of curious as to what was going okay. on at that well, time. You know, who took that, you know who took that picture? Please tell me. Andy Warhol. <laughs> uh, uh, so, okay. <laughs> uh, no, no, it was, it was uh, Mr. Chow's in New York. We were having dinner at Mr. Chow's and Andy Warhol was a really loved George. When I first moved to New York, I saw Andy Warhol walking down the street and I flipped out. I'm like, because he was my favorite artist when I was at school. He was my favorite. And my girlfriend at the time said, oh God, you, you know, that's nothing. You, Andy Warhol's everywhere. And he was, she was right. I mean, Andy Warhol literally was wherever you went to. And he never said much. He was very much a voyeur, Andy was. And, and he was at that camera. And he took, so he took that picture and I guess it ended up in Interview Magazine. But there was his... Um, goddaughter Kate Harrington was the fashion editor of Interview Magazine and she said oh I want to do they were doing this thing about music and she said I want to do an interview with my friend Nick Egan he's an album cover designer and when she showed the interview he said I know that man I see him everywhere he said that's great that he does something because obviously he realised most people in New York didn't actually do anything I did something so he said, oh, I'd like to do something special for him and Kate said well he loves your work so he gave me this book and he's, he's signed his name all the way through, and he's drawn big hearts and, and love Andy Warhol. So I've got this fantastic book. It's probably worth a lot of money now with Andy Warhol writing all the way through it. But that when he took that picture, he didn't know who the hell I was. I just happened to be sitting with boy George. George in New York had a birthday, and it was like he had one at the, um, the limelight. Mr. Chow's, it went on all night, this party. And so and I because I worked with George, I did a couple of his record covers and designed his logo. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was one of the people he knew in New York before he moved there. We used to go out all the time together and stay up late and yeah, have a lot of fun. And that picture came up. I don't know who posted that picture. I think George put it on his website actually. And then Mark Jacobs also retweeted it. So um yeah, so that's a so it goes beyond just the photograph. It goes on that the Andy Warhol took the picture. <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> I was thinking there's this, girl, this friend of mine who lives in New York and her name's Oberon and she and I went to, we just went to the 50th anniversary, recently went to the 50th anniversary of the moon landing because Duran Duran played there. And her and I said we should do a two-man show because you know, she knows Chris Blackwell and she, she comes from London too. But I said we should do a stand-up together called The Art of Name Dropping <laughs> because, because when I say it to people, I think I'm name dropping, but... but these are people I know. And, and so it'd be like me saying my next door neighbor's name, but it happens to be Andy Warhol. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And we thought that was a really funny idea, the art of name dropping, that yes, we name, we name drop. That's because we're involved in that circle. And, and we're both quite funny, but that's so we're thinking of doing this two-man show at some point of, of, in a funny way of the things that we've done and the accidental things we've kind of bumped into. But, um, and I'll tell you, and just to emphasize that point, when I was working with Bob Dylan and he was in LA, we were at, we were at Dave Stewart's. Dave Stewart was having this party. And as, <laughs> as I'm talking to Bob and George Harrison walks by and Bob stops George and goes, 
George, you know Nick? Nick, this is George. And I just said, you can't really beat that, being introduced <laughs> to George Harrison by Bob Dylan. <laughs> that, was, that, that wasn't lost on me at the time. You know, that, that, that was, um, you know, this is weird. Bob Dylan's introducing me to George Harrison. And George Harrison said, hi, Nick, how are you doing? Obviously, you have to have, um, there are moments when you go, shit, I'm in the middle of something really, really big here. And this is like, I don't know what, this is, but this is, this is an important moment. But you can't get too involved with that. You've got to think about it. You've got to put yourself on. Yeah, because I'm impressed with some of the people I've met. <laughs> I tell you, the, the person I've most been impressed ever meeting, though, was a guy called Tom Kenny. Do you know who he is? He does the SpongeBob. I, I was about to say, that's, yeah. <laughs> that is the SpongeBob guy. We've and, talked and about was, him before. <laughs> his kids were at my kids' uh, elementary school. And at the school gala, he was there. And I was, I went up to him and I said, Oh my God, it's like, I, it's so great to meet. I said, My kids love you. I said, In fact, I love you. And he turned around to me and he spoke to me in SpongeBob's voice. <laughs> and that, that to me was, was one of the great, to me, that was, I was more impressed with that than anything, any other person I've met. Just, and the fact that he talked to me with the SpongeBob voice just blew me away. So he's also in a band. What, he's a rock artist. Uh, he's an artist. He's a musical artist too. He's, yeah, a, no, he's, he was, he he's a great guy. And he used yeah. to come to the school and read stories to the kids i was thinking how lucky those kids were but yeah yeah, that that and i could quite honestly say the reason why was because i was a fan was because i i wasn't involved in his world Mm. it was that was a different world i knew not that much about and the spongebob me and the kids still watch them to this day because they're so brilliantly funny so that was the only time i really at the moment was why i could i felt like i was i was stuttering to him you know (laughs) and and he was he was great so yeah i think those some of those people that i've come across has been on a professional level and you have to sort of keep maintain a professional sense of what what the situation is Their, their lives are constantly bombarded by people wanting to talk to them and 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 i think that's what you have to be when you become in the public eye. But I also get the fact that once in a while, you don't want to be talking to someone that's just idolizing you. You want to be able to talk to somebody on a one-on-one. And that's why I've had to, from the very beginning, had to really look at it, everything I've done from a professional point of view. When I look back on it, I'm more impressed about what happened than I am at the time, if you see what I'm saying. Obviously, I couldn't, I couldn't not be impressed by some of the things that I've, and some of the people I've met when I look back on it. But at the time... You have to look at it from a purely normal point of view as much as you can. Yeah, but yeah, I'm lucky. I mean, I have worked with some of the best bands that have been around. And even if they're not the most successful bands, it's certainly I like Sonic Youth. You know, I did two videos with Sonic Youth and they were just the greatest people to work with. And mm. I saw them play at the Hollywood Bowl not too long ago. They never changed, they've never changed their sound. They don't add strings, they don't do remixes. They, that is a cacophony of a wall of sound. And I thought, oh, it's not, is it going to work at the Hollywood Bowl? But it did. It was brilliant. Did you see it? And they played the Hollywood Bowl? No, that must have been, God, they broke up it was like cool. five years or a while ago. Yeah, so, it was yeah, a while ago. Yeah, but yeah, I've, yeah, I've seen Sonic Youth before and they were in a small club. But yeah, that's uh, yeah. the Bowl. That would be well, and pretty they, amazing. And I, I thought they were. I, but honestly, I thought that they weren't going to pull it off. I thought they were like very much going to be a small club type of band. But no, they, they just, it just was one of the best shows I've ever seen because it worked in that environment. And what you love about them or what you loved about them was they stuck to what they did. And it took me a while when I did Youth Against Fascism to even figure out if there was a melody in there somehow. Yeah, and, and I was like, struggling a little bit with the song because I was the song that you know, it didn't blow me away. But over the 
test of time, it really, you, you really get it. And, and I get why they were so beloved by people, was that sound. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Enjoying yourself, Holly? Uh, this is so awesome. I have so much more. There's so much more to cover here. Uh. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Welcome back to What Difference Does It Make with Nick Egan, our special guest. You were at the precipice of Alanis Morissette's ascension to, oh, yeah. to like, uh, I mean, you ought to know, just launched her. That was like a Beatles moment, you know, like that was yeah. a moment, but apparently not a big fan or what, uh, what was the, what's the story uh, behind all of this? Okay, well, that's a, yeah, that's an interesting story. And, and break my heart here. Uh, yeah, see, yeah, Holly is a huge Atlantis fan. So. I'm not, I was going to tell you something about that after and about the video after, but yeah. Okay, well, what happened was I was, uh, I'd, I'd done a video for uh, Madonna's label, um, what was it called again? Um, Maverick. Um, Maverick, yeah, Maverick Records. And I did a group called Candlebox, and Gaia Theory oh. was the, Gaia Theory was the sort of A&R person over there at the time, and I knew him because I, I made a video with a group called Concan and Guy was one of the extras in it with this guy called Bronx style Bob, who was like, who was close to um, Guy. And so years later when Guy was just this snotty nosed kid, became this kind of like big A&R person. He always remembered me and he asked me to do a video for Candlebox far behind. And it was right the, the whole Nirvana Seattle thing. And they were sort of riding a little bit on the Seattle bandwagon. And so I did a video for them and it went massive. In fact, I think it was the most played video on MTV that year. Probably. Um, and so along came Alanis Morissette, and Guy said to me, we've got this new artist called Alanis, would you do a video for us? So I kind of did, and as a personal thing comes into this, because what happened, I'd just broken up with the mother of my first child, Roman, 
And she had been brought in as a temporary person to work in the music video department of Maverick. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want to have anything to do with, with her. So I kind of tried to say I wasn't interested in the video, right? I didn't want to do the video. But the guy kept on and on and on. And he wanted me to meet an Alanis. And I met with Alanis. And, I, and I, you know, I saw what she'd done before. She was this bubblegum kind of like <laughs> mini-skirted Canadian pop star. And I didn't think she had too much credibility. And she, and you know what? She, she was blooming at that point. She had teenage acne and she had a monobrow. I mean, I'll be honest, she just didn't look like she was going to work on film. So I kept trying to pass on it. And then in the end, I said, oh, I'll just test it to the limit. I, I took a piece of legal paper and I wrote, I want to do the Alanis video in Death Valley. She will look good. And that was my treatment for it. And they bought, they, they said, okay. <laughs> So we go out to the we go out to the desert and and my crew for the first time said to me and I didn't to be honest I just knew we go to death valley I didn't really know what I wanted to do I had no idea and my crew kept saying to me what are we doing what are we doing as we went we're setting up into Brisky Point that point that's over and one of the people on the set a friend of mine who was a photographer Michelle Larita had this little suitcase and there was that time when those little um, cat stickers I don't know if you remember those cat stickers you get from those little vending machines those kitty cat stickers think so. and she had them on this and I said that's it I've got it because when you listen to the lyric I hate to bug you in the middle of dinner this was an 18 year old girl who had not recently lost her virginity and she I guess this guy was a 36 year old guy and she took it really personally that to him it was nothing you know to her it was a big deal so I thought that line to me I hate to bug you in the middle of dinner was ironic because actually what she really she did want to bug him in the middle of dinner and nothing was going to stop her from doing this mission wherever it was. So now I saw this terminator type of character this this aggrieved woman who wanted to go and and, and have it out with this person nothing was going to stop her she would walk the entire length of the nation to get there. So this suitcase was this metaphor for her where I, where I get a changing you know she stops and she changes into another outfit and she keeps walking and then she's running and then you end up in the most spectacular part of this country, which is Death Valley. I've got an obsession with Death Valley anyway. But she's in the middle of Death Valley and she's walking and she's coming to sing. And, and I started cutting and I thought, you know, we shot it on Super 8 and I thought, oh, you know, out of, out of nothing, I've made something. I've made this story. Super 8 made it really easy to move around so we didn't have to get locked into shot lists. It was really, let's do it over there, let's do it over there. We had the, um, you know, the rangers with us were helping us out uh, to get to places that no, the normal public couldn't get to. And then um, we, when I did the final edit, she sent a note and said, oh, I love the edit, Nick. I've just got a, f- a few changes. So I went to her little house when she had this little bungalow in um, Santa Monica. And then she, um, she proceeded to give me 20 pages of changes. <laughs> after, and I'm like, hold on a second. I said, she goes, I want this, this. And I said, no, no, you know, what you don't understand? She goes, I want more close-ups. Now, the reason I didn't do close-ups because her skin was bad. And she had this monobrow. And this, the way she was delivering the song was intense. Don't get me wrong, it was great. But it didn't make her look attractive. She was, she was mugging and she was pulling these faces. I didn't tell her that. But I said, you've got to trust me. I said, this is, this is super great film. It's not very flattering on close-up. I said, and also people are not going to want to see uh, ironically, she did that video that was just a close-up of her face, which I thought was ironic after I'd just done that. She, I said, you can't have a... People are going to get... It's going to be too much if you, all you see is close-up. 
So we had this argument, and she was telling me she was right, and I was saying I was right because I was the one that had the track record, and I was the one that had success on MTV. She hadn't done anything before except in Canada. And blah, blah. So we had this argument about it, and then she kind of insisted she was right. I made one condition to what she said, and that was the bit in the middle where you see the the, the, the crossfades. That was her idea, where, where you kind of like go from – because I was all about cuts and not, not dissolves. And so we did this kind of crossfade thing, and, and I give her credit, that worked. So anyway, not too long, then not too long after that, I saw an interview with her in the LA Times where she said, well, I didn't like the video very much until, until I changed it and made it work, and I was really insulted by that. So then a, a thing came up, it got the, it got, I can't remember what, what, where it was, but it was, it was put down as the 10 most influential videos of the last 25 years, and that video was in it, for the reason being, the way it changed the perception of women in rock music. Up until then, most women were considered just like a, a titillation to a video. And even the scene, this is the first time a woman rocked out as a front person in the video, and it ended up insp- being the inspiration for the Lilith Fair, and all these things came as a result of it, and that's why it was, in, that's why it was great. I personally never liked I, I was I, To me, I, I wasn't a big fan of that video. I had better videos I, I liked more, like the Oasis videos. And so they came to me, at this TV station said they wanted to do an interview with me about it. And as I was finishing the interview, I said, does Alanis know I'm doing this interview? And they said, no, not yet. I said, I bet you when she finds out I'm doing it, because she wasn't going to do it. I said, I bet you when she finds out I've done it, she'll want to do it. And sure enough, she did. And she did this thing where she said, well, Nick wasn't very happy with the ideas, but I think what I said improved the whole video, which was just bullshit. And it just shows you the, cult celebrity because they took her side rather than my side on it and actually I'd say 90% of that video is everything that I did it and, and 10% was her idea and I've seen her since I saw at a friend's wedding and we kissed and made up and you know but she will never admit that that was a video that really broke her career and I did it it's just funny because I didn't give a shit about it I didn't want to do it I tried everything I could not to do it I, I, I even to the point of writing a treatment that had no information on it at all. It's just like, I want to, I want to go to make a video in Death Valley. Alanis will look great in it. And it turned out to be one of my most successful videos in terms of what it did. I would be interested to know what your viewpoint on it is, Holly, because as I said, it was considered on this, this 10 of the most influential videos because of what it did for women in the, in the place of music. So what was your thing you were going to say? That's exactly what it was. Who was Alanis Morissette? Because I heard the song, I was working for a radio network at the time. I was doing these these um, hit discs, you know, with new new releases for the week, and that was the first time I heard the song. And I yeah. went gaga over the song. It's uh, had a, I mean, song. in my early twenties, you know, yeah. had a huge impact on me. So of course, I, I wanted to hear more by her. But then when I saw the video, first of all, I thought the video was beautiful. I love the color. I loved everything about it. But it's funny. It left me hearing. That's why hearing the story now is so mm-hmm. is great because it left me wanting to see more of her. Right. Okay. And now I'm wondering, had I seen more of her in the video, more yeah. close-ups of her in the video, would I have felt differently? What kind of impact would that have had on me? But it had that video had a huge impact because it did exactly what you're saying. Women in rock, and she seemed so powerful to me. Yeah, yeah she was. And I didn't know at the time. I didn't know a lot about her I hadn't read well, nobody did. know until later about her Canadian, you know. Her yeah, no, yeah, cheesy. Awesome it was very cheesy, that song. But you're absolutely right. And I think those things, those moments, you can never predict them because I certainly didn't go out of my way to promote her as who is um, Alanis Morissette. It was more avoiding her. 
I mean, there's a couple of shots you can see it, which is really close to camera. It's out of focus. But you can tell she's pulling this really light face. And I thought, that's going to put people off. You're going to look at it and go, oh, my God. Not because she's a woman, just because it just was it was way too in your face. And so I never planned it to be that way. I never planned any of it to be that way. I never planned it at all. That was the funny thing about it. It all was, like, very off the, off the hip. And it ended up being super successful. And then you can try and do that and try your hardest to try and repeat that and you can never do it again. It just It's one of those things that just everything kind of aligned to that reason, the reason that I didn't want to do it, the reason she wanted to have just close-ups, the reasons it was most of it was shot from a long distance. And you know what? I'll tell you one thing, though, to give her credit, and I did give her credit for it because it was, it was a great song. There was a moment, and I, and I think if you look at the video, when she's in the, the salt, like flatbeds, the white, where she's in the white, she's put, she's got this white thing on. And we were shooting that. I think it's one of the first things we shot. And she was running and she was rolling on the floor. And I looked at my crew, I'd done every music video you could ever see, so they could give a shit about music videos. Every single one of them's jaw was dropped. They were looking at that going, and I, and I always remember that going, again, at that moment, this woman's got something. As much as I might not get on with her, or, or, I mean, at that point, I did get on with her. Just, yeah, I only didn't get on with her when it came to the edit. I got on with her great up until that point. But I just remember being with his crew, and I always look at my crew and see how they respond. And most of the time, they're doing other stuff and this person performing. But this one, every single one of them was looking at her. And I thought, that is shows that she's got something. She was an incredible, incredible performer. I mean, just her confidence, her, her kind of like, you would have thought she was doing that to save her life, the intensity she put into that performance. And she kept that level the whole time through the shoot. She, she maintained that level of, of, like, intensity. She's an intense person. You, her um, lyrics, I mean, you tell by her lyrics how deep, just, I don't think yeah. I would want to get in there. <laughs> no, no, and I wouldn't want to be that guy that she wanted a bug in the middle of dinner. Let's just tell me that. I mean, that, that, was, that, was the line, that was the line that really turned it for me because I just thought, I hate to bug you in the middle. It was such a sarcasm and such a, that's what, that's what got it to me. Cause, cause I thought that's exactly what she wants to do. She wants to walk in my guys every dinner with somebody else and cause a scene right in front and not give a shit. And I thought that was a brilliant thing. And, th- and that in a way was an empowerment of women, even though I think her motives were naive because, you know, 18 being with a man that's holding yourself, you learn a quick, rude, lesson about life because it was important to her she lost her virginity it was a big deal to her but to other people it doesn't it's just another day you know and the fact that she took that so intensively showed her naivety but in a way also showed her strength because she didn't care that people thought that so i've got listen i've got a lot of respect for her i just think the way she slanted it in the media just bothered me more than anything else like she was really reticent to give me credit for it even though i mean she deserves credit because she was a performer she was great but you know, I, I deserve credit for actually capturing that on, on on film and pushing her to 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 what I did by making up this story of her. This is what you're going to be. You're going to be like the Terminator. That's what I told her. That, but, you know, in the Terminator, you can't stop Arnold Schwarzenegger. He just keeps going and going and going. And that was what I put in her head. I said, "You're the Terminator. You're coming across the country. Nothing, nothing. Not the military is going to stop you from getting to where you're going to go." And she took that on and she did it really, really well. So. Yeah, the other stuff was accidental, but but yeah, it was great, powerful, I'm, you know. I'm offended at that. I mean, about her, I, I you know, considering that video, pretty much. I mean, the music also, but launched her into stardom. And it's weird because if you look at all those subsequent videos, 
They're nothing like that. They're nothing like it. They're very slightly hippie, slightly, you know, she did that when she was naked, which I think was a big mistake with Stefan Sidney. She did a, the, the, the toe close up, which, which I think is, yeah, it was, it was interesting. I, I think that it wasn't the kind of video that she really would have done herself, but it was because I was so used to working with bands and I was so good at bringing out performance in people. And I think the record label convinced her that it was right. And she did everything. She was great when I was working with her. But I noticed that everything after that was nothing like you or no. Never, she never really rocked out much doing that. No, definitely not. I, I think I'm, I think I'm sort of lightening up on, you know, because you do a job. There's been videos I've done and I've gone, oh, you know what, that was, I didn't enjoy that. So I don't enjoy looking at the video. And that was one. I think I've sort of lightened up on that a little bit because because of its place in in kind of cultural history in terms of of what it did. And I was when I watched the when I watched the, that program about it and and the way people were talking about it and the way people were going on about what it meant and and then they were interviewing girls and saying that meant that gave us that gave us authority and that gave us a place and that gave us power. Then it touched me that that I had been involved because I'm a big big supporter of women and equality for women and women in, in rock. And so so to have had a part in that, because I always had as many women on the crew as I could get, my, you know, I was always close. My, my producers were always women. To have had that effect on women and yourself as well, Holly, is a proud moment for me to done in a political sense of what I've done. You know, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm beginning to see it more and more um, from that point of view than I did from my own personal point of view. But thank you for saying that. <laughs> oh. Pleasure, but also don't get me wrong. I'm a bit, I'm a fan of the other, the NXS and the you know, oh, right. Duran and all that as well. Okay, someone asked me recently when I did this interview with the, the Duran Duran fan website, and they asked me, "You never really ever feel like you finish what you finish. You 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 have to hurry up. You got to finish your deadline. So you have to finish. You have to make compromises." The one video I've ever done, it's one of my most recent videos, is the Duran Duran pressure off video. Because that was the first time I've been, because A, it was like, it, yeah, when I, when I talked to Nick Rhodes about it, he said he said it should be like the NXS kit cover, so that was great. But it's the only video I've ever done when it ended up being exactly as I saw it in my head, exactly, without anything. I've always seen it in my head, and it's always come out slightly different, sometimes better, sometimes not as good. But that video was exactly as, as I saw it. And what I got from that video was every single shot in that video is an individual. I've never got them together in one place, and that's a shoot. The band in London and actually shoot Nile Rogers and Janelle Monet in Los Angeles. And I've got to give Simon credit because I said, Simon, you've got to play this like you're on stage with everyone. You've got to work, you've got, because otherwise it won't work. Yeah. And we gave him C stands as, as like, okay, this is where John is, this is where, this is where Nick is. This, and these were, he didn't need the eyelines. He said, you can take the eyelines away. And if you look at the video, you look at him, he looks over just when Janelle Monet comes into it. And he looks over where John is and he makes it come together. And, and, and to me, it really got, and first of all, with Duran Duran and with any band, whether it's on album covers, the same with In Excess, uh, the reason I did the kit covers because you can, if you take a photograph of five guys in a band, it's always going to be one that doesn't look very good, or two. <laughs> and, and it's really almost impossible getting all five people to look great at the same time. But if you shoot them as individuals, which I did with the In Excess cover, and then montage it together, everybody can look great in it. And that's what happened in that Duran Duran video in terms of, yeah, Nick looked great because I worked on his individual shots. John looked great. So and then when you put them together, and then you got someone like Janelle Monae, who's got such a great energy and so like it, like she raises everything up to a high level. Then I go, I got the perfect. That was the perfect storm for me. It all, all really 
came, but it still had an influence of the 80s and the 90s in it. One of my probably top 10 songs is Live Forever. And I love the band Oasis. And I'm sure, and the Gallagher boys are probably like <laughs> insane. I just need to hear what <laughs> you oh, must have. Some, what, what are your impressions of the Gallagher brothers or, you know, like, well, uh, the first time I went to see them play at the whiskey, they, I, I got there too late because Liam had stormed off stage. So I missed that. that then sounds I went about for right. dinner with them, with Epic Records. They took me and them out for dinner. He goes, Oh, we don't give a fuck what the story is. He goes, the fucking video better be good. I was going to kick your fucking head in, he said. And then I worked with them, and they were really, like, naughty on that thing with the drug abuse on that video. But um, but I kind of got something out, out of them, and it's based off the Bowie Man of to Earth film, that, that whole video. I always, have, I always have film references back in my head because I'm such a fan of films, and in particular Stanley Kubrick, and, and I love Nicholas Rogue and Federico Fellini, and... And there's always an element of those in there. But the Live Forever video, to me, was almost as good as it was almost the perfect storm in that one because it was almost a perfect video because I took the, I like to be ironic, I like to use irony in, in what I do a lot. And the idea of Live Forever said to me, well, people who are dead, like musicians, they live, for, they, they, they live forever. Painters live forever. Um, filmmakers live forever. Actors live forever because you can always see them no matter what generation it is. So I took, I thought, well, okay, that's a good basis of it. That that comes from a film called Performance by Nicholas Rowe with Mick Jagger in it, James Fox, where Mick Jagger is with Anita Pallenberg. is this kind of burnt-out rock star that lives in Notting Hill Gate somewhere and it's all hippie and mushrooms. And James Fox is this... Cray twins type, type of gangster that, that is in a way is almost regimental, like soldier-like, clean, neat. And he comes into this world of mushrooms and drugs. And, and I thought that was a great sort of metaphor for the whole live forever thing. And I chose to put Mark Boland, uh, Brian Jones, Jimmy Hendrix, um, and, and various yeah. Sid Vicious, all these rock stars. And in the original movie, he's got pictures of racehorses. So, so I decided to put these, these, um, live for these, these these people in our culture live forever and it was really tricky on that one because liam did not want to act fucking hate acting he said i'm not a fucking actor and and um the very last shot of the video is him walking off off i've had a fucking enough and he storms off so i left it in the, i left it in the video but the interesting thing about that it was commissioned by epic the american epic records and the guy that was the video commissioner was with me on the set was like you know, Liam doesn't do anything. He just stands there. And and he kept saying to me, you've got to get him to move around. You've got to get him to move around. I said, you can do that. I'm not going to go and tell this guy to jump around when he's obviously not known for jumping around. But he looks too boring. So what I have to give my credit to my editor, Nicholas Wayman Harris, the genius of that video is cutting to Liam when he's doing nothing. When he's not even singing, he's just staring. And I think that, that really pushed that what Liam was doing was cool he didn't have to jump around, you know, he, he could move. But they were, I did so many, about six videos for them. I mean, Duran Duran and Oasis are the most I've ever done videos for. And they, they, they kept with me. They, they, they hate making them. I, I think the one I also did in Death Valley for Who Feels Love was one of my favorite videos because it, it, it just was stunning to look at. But I had a sort of camaraderie with them and that was over... Dave, it was over soccer because they're Man City supporters, and Ugh. and we did a lot of talking about soccer. And you know, I support Chelsea, they support Man City, and we we had big conversations about that. I, you know, I got on with them relatively well. They they like to be contrary, and they sort of 
purposely negative. That's their thing. Mm. They hate everything, hate everybody, hate everything. We said, really, they don't. They just, this is the big act, as far as, they're con- as far as I'm concerned. But no, they, 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 they were, again, some of the best things I did. was, And I think Live Forever really does stand out to me because that, that was the video that really broke them in the States. I did, I did um, Supersonic, but then I did Live Forever, and Live Forever was the one that they got the bus clip on MTV. I mean, this, again, this is when MTV were like, if you got it on MTV, and I remember the head of Epic calling me and saying, you better guarantee this is going to make it on MTV. And I said, I can't guarantee anything. It's, like, it's not down to me. But it did, and it got the buzz clip, and it, and it really broke them in America. They never made it as big in America as they could have done, but but that certainly took them over into the next level, really, that, that video. I look at it, and I go, I'm very proud of it. It came out second to the Duran Duran video in terms of how I saw it in my head, mm. you know? The top for me. Anything else? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, talk about, let's talk about where you are now. I've been doing a lot of artwork. I've been doing a, some video, a few videos. I, I worked with this fashion company called The Superb, and I shot a promotional video for them. It's on the website, you know. Um, and um, I've been working with Mindy Abair, who was the um, chairman. Of, she was the president of the Grammys when I was on the board. I was a governor at the Grammys for two years, and she was the president. And her and I, she's a, she's a preeminent jazz sax player in the world, female jazz. And, and I, I was just working on a new album cover with her, and there's another artist who I was working to do a video with who was in a band called Fabulon, who I did a video 20 years ago. It's a brilliant song that never kind of made it called In the Mood. And he's coming out with a new record, which is great. It's a brilliant sort of glam rock record. And I was about to do a video for him. So what I've been doing in the meantime is shooting miniatures. I've, I've been making these miniatures and shooting exteriors as miniatures. So, so yeah, I keep constantly busy. I don't, you don't get paid a lot of money like you used to anymore, but you keep busy, basically, in order to survive. That's what That's we're all it. trying to do here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're all trying to do. And, and at the same time, stay healthy. Exactly. You know? Oh, I'm always busy. You know, I've got a certain independence because I do, I shoot, I did a video for this girl, this Australian girl, which is also on my website, and she's a wrestler. And I, we went out to the desert, and I used all my family to help me with that. My son was a camera and my daughter who's only 14 was a stunt driver believe it or not she drove a stunt <laughs> car i mean you know because we were down these desert roads and my other son was was helping with with uh driving the, the the follow car so um i've got them all involved in it and and um and it turned out to be a pretty good video yeah and i'm doing i, I get invited to do go and speak at, at, at certain places and and get a lot of interviews so yeah. That's good. Keeps me relevant, I suppose. For sure. That's why we want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great to talk. Yeah, it's yeah. wonderful talking to you. I, I really do appreciate what the two of you do. I've enjoyed this. I've subscribed to your, your podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so um, despite me being involved with it or not, I, I thought it was an interesting thing to be to, 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 to have an access to. So, all right. So, guys, so I hope it all turns out well. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you. All right. So that, yeah, that was great. Thank you so much, Nick. I really appreciate the time. Great. Love having you here. This was, this was wonderful. Next time, if we do another one, it'd be nice to do it sitting down with you in the same room. That's right. And maybe uh, I'll see you on the yeah. pitch. We can, uh, you know, if you got to pick up yeah. soccer game or something, we could play. All right. Thanks a lot, Take Nick. Care. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. See you around. Bye. Bye. Nick Egan, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to follow us. You can find us at, uh, on our website, wddimpodcast.com. Facebook, it's WDDIM Podcast. Twitter, the same. Instagram, the same. 
We have a very active Facebook page. If you listen on Apple, hey, five stars, reviews. We love it all, of course. Until next week, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Have a great night. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.